Hello and welcome to B2B Better, the only podcast focused on helping B2B marketers do better marketing through content, community, and social media. My name is Jason Bradwell, and every week I sit down with whip-smart marketing leaders to talk about what it takes to build an audience strategy that scales from day one, and that also delivers real business results, not vanity metrics. If you've come here for theory, then you may be in the wrong place. Each episode is packed to the rafters with actionable insights and takeaways that you can put into practice today. Let me help you be better than boring. Here we go. And today on B2B Better, I'm very excited to be joined by Alicia Russell, VP of Global Marketing at Onalytica. How are you doing, Alicia? Yeah, good, thank you. Thanks for having me on this podcast. It's been a long time coming. I think you guys at Onalytica published an influencer report B2B influencer report maybe eight, nine months ago. And I reached out to you as soon as I saw it. I was like, we have to talk about this. And uh, we've only now just managed to to, to nail you down to to get you onto the podcast. So very excited to have you here. Yeah, really glad to be here. Yeah, I think it was in November last year. And then what with, I think, both our busy schedules of responding plus moving house, which I think you were also moving house with the pressures of stamp duty deadline approaching so now that's all behind us and hopefully i mean are you moved now well it's behind you it's not behind me i'm still very much in the throes of it we could probably do an entire podcast episode on how (laughs) broken the uk property Uh, system is but um but no i'm glad to see that you've moved into your new place um tell us a little bit about Analytica, tell us a little bit about your role within the company, VP of Global Marketing. I imagine you've got your hands in lots of different pies over there. To say the least, yeah. So um, Analytica, we're a B2B influence marketing software platform um, with supporting professional services. So we work with predominantly tech brands. So um, we work with Microsoft, IBM, Google, AWS, Cisco, SAP, all the kind of big tech giants. Um, And yes, we're we're mostly a a software, but we do also provide some agency services as well. Um, So our software is... uh, Essentially, it helps brands to identify influential voices on the topics that, that matter to their brand and that are aligned to the, the products or the services or solutions that they're selling. Um, and then they can engage with those influencers on a campaign basis, but also on an always on uh, kind of long term relationship building basis to essentially build an army and a community of advocates for their brand to uh, increase brand share of voice online, brand awareness to uh, create demand in the market and educate the market on the the challenges and issues that their audiences are facing um, and to ultimately uh, increase increase their revenue as well. So that's kind of what Onlistica does in a nutshell. Um, we're global, we're uh, London headquartered, um, been around since 2009 um, and we also have an office in, in New York as well. So um, very much a, a globally focused business um as far as my role goes uh, we're a small company so um anyone listening that also works for a small company and works in marketing will know that uh, that means you you do have to be a bit of a jack of all trades at times um and yeah you're kind of overseeing every single aspect of marketing never having enough time in the day never having enough budget or resource but it's actually a really good environment to learn in if you ask me so you have to really get creative and just like throw it to, well throw it in the deep end 
and is probably the best way to explain it. So my role primarily, I mean, I lead the marketing team. Um, we're a very revenue focused marketing team um, and working in influence marketing, we, we do practice what we preach in that aspect as well. So our brand perception and how we're perceived in the, in the market and among other marketers is very important to us. And we work a lot with influential voices within marketing to collaborate on content, and ultimately to, to create really genuinely interesting content that's helpful to the market and to help bring the market forward and mature the market. So we're not just very like brand centric. So even though we're uh, a very revenue driven uh, company, as far as like what we ultimately are measuring, that's kind of the most important thing we're measuring. Um, but we are very like, I'd say, very focused on, on being as helpful as possible for the market. Um, so, I mean, my role is, is pretty much to create the strategy. I'm the one who gets, uh, I, I was, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Sure, let's just do it. <laughs> um, I'm the one that's on the receiving end of all the shit. If, if the shit does hit the fan um, and, and we ultimately don't perform and don't deliver. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, I find it really hard to articulate what my role is because I have so many different, different areas, but in a nutshell, I lead the strategy and the execution of that, measuring it, managing the team to, to get stuff done in the most efficient and best way possible. Uh, we're very close to, to our sales team as well, being such a revenue-driven team. Um, I'd say, like, like historically, sales, the sales teams tend to not, like, either don't understand what marketing do or just don't really respect them, don't really think they serve a purpose. But um, I'd say, like, our biggest, something I'm most proud of, within my company is that our sales team genuinely like respect us and come to us and really rely on on us we create a lot of content that fuels their kind of outreach cadences and like without marketing content they essentially are twiddling their thumb so um i'd say that yeah that's one kind of area we're really focused on and really passionate about i have no idea if any of that made sense and i actually explained what i do very well or if i just like completely rambled and didn't really say anything but <laughs> no, you, you did and i think you know a lot of people listening to this podcast are probably in a similar boat to you in that they are one person or part of small marketing teams and growing companies and you know they're wearing lots of different hats and you know to, to you to use your phrase just dealing with a lot of shit that's just coming at them all the time and trying to sift through and figure out what's going to be you know the, the most effective use of, of their time so i think a lot of people can probably empathize with your position certainly mm -hmm. i can um you know sometimes you see these companies that um they they have small marketing teams but you wouldn't be able to figure that out from the outside and i'll make a point here this is not a branded episode on Lilica are not paying me to to, to to interview you by any stretch um so i'm not i say this uh, genuinely you guys seem to be everywhere that i'm looking on social media i oh, think the influencer <laughs> report that you put out was a really great piece of you know compelling evergreen hero content that delivered mm -hmm. a lot of value to your, you know, your target audience, which would be to be marketers in which I find myself. Um, and obviously that prompted us to, 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 to getting together to talking today. So we're going to dive a little bit into that. Um, but let's start here. Tell us, why do you think influencer marketing is important in B2B? I think we're all very familiar with influencer marketing on the B2C side of the mm -hmm. aisle, you know, paying Kendall Jenner half a million dollars for a couple of posts on Instagram um, to promote hairspray or something. How, how, how does it work in B2B? You know, why is it important for companies, uh, B2B companies to be, to be looking into as a channel? 
So, I mean, the, the premise of, of influence marketing in B2B and B2C, in my opinion, is completely the same. People tend to overcomplicate it and think that it's a completely different strategy or they just can't see past the Kendall Jenners of this world and, and you know, flogging charcoal toothpaste on Instagram. And it's that that's just the execution of it in, in B2C. But when we take a step back and go, okay, well, why... Why did influence marketing become such a prevalent strategy? Why are we, why are brands paying influencers to endorse their products and, and push their brand message? And that's because as consumers, we're becoming increasingly skeptical of brand messaging. Um, gone are the days of like mad men. I don't know if you've watched that. Absolutely that's love it. And I, I, I would love to work in advertising if advertising was as it was back then. Like that's my absolute dream of just like whiteboarding ideas and it not relying on laptops and like cost per lead and all that kind of stuff like that doesn't interest me <laughs> as much um so i mean yeah gone are the days where a brand could i mean for goodness sake like cigarettes were pushed as being lucky and like these are the, the less you know less harsh cigarettes or whatever the messaging was that you see a lot of in, in mad men and consumers trusted that and if the brand said what X statement about themselves, consumers just believed it because they had nothing to go by. They had nothing to compare it to. There were no trip advisors and, and, and websites like that where they could compare other customers' experiences or easily benchmark brands against each other. So because of that, brands have had to turn to people that we do trust, which is, you know, we, we trust people. We trust people like us. So that's why influence marketing has become so prevalent. And that doesn't change for B2B. We still don't trust brand messaging and when you look at b2b buyer journeys they're much longer they're much more complex the the average order value is is much much higher um for us like our buying cycle can be anything you know three months is great uh we've had some clients that have taken three years to close so mm. it's much more complex and um what i always like to say is that the main difference between b2b and b2c is that in B2C, consumers like to spend money on things they don't need, whereas in B2B, buyers don't like to spend money on things they do need. So that buyer journey not only is longer, but it's much more complex. That they're, they're turning to trusted experts online to see what they think. They're going to websites like G2 Crowd, Captera, in a, in a tech sense, to see uh, what other people's experiences are. So the, the, the premise of it is the same, but the, the execution is different when you look at uh, the ways in which you collaborate with influencers. Uh, it'll be less about Instagram posts, but it might be more about inviting them to a virtual event to, to host uh, a panel or to sit on a panel or to collaborate on an industry report like we did. We worked with a lot of influencers to produce and amplify that report. Um, so the execution part is different in that sense. And also obviously the, the channels are different. It's less about Instagram, more about LinkedIn, more about Twitter, more about blogs. Um, but it's it's just just as important, um, not just from a brand perspective, a, a brand trust perspective, but also when it comes to actually creating quality content as well. Like a lot of our brands, uh, our clients, they they work with influencers to get access to to their trust, to their audience, to their expertise, to create quality content that ultimately uh, really touches on the, the challenges that their industry are facing so that they can ultimately reach and, and influence their, their target audience. Um, 
sounds like it's about credibility, right? I think, you know, as you touched yeah. on there, we somewhat are desensitized now to brand messaging, you know, because we're mm-hmm. hit with it from all corners every day in, in, our, in our everyday lives. And uh, I think maybe there's a little bit of a misconception in B2B that everything is, is logic driven and, you know, it's, it's all about the numbers and um, very rational. There's no emotion in a B2B buying journey. Mm-hmm. I always have found a problem with that statement because as a B2B buyer myself, you know, when I'm committing to buy something, it doesn't just affect me, right? If I get it wrong, it affects all my employees. And if I get it really wrong, it means I could be out of a job. I could lose my livelihood the next the next quarter. Absolutely, and yeah. When, you, when you're making that kind of decision, you want to trust that the brand that you're you're, you're putting your... your, your uh, your uh, your chips in with is going to deliver what they say they're going to deliver, and you can get a, a part of that. You can go along a part of that journey by listening to what the brand says themselves. But what's really powerful is turning to the people who they're working with, you know, their clients, influencers, individuals who are actually using that product, um, have belief in that product. That that can really help in tipping a B two B buyer into signing on the dotted line. Would you say? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, if you listen to some people in, in my industry, they'll kind of like say like, stop all advertising, like it's a waste of money. And I actually think advertising 100% still has a place, like all of these uh, more old school traditional marketing and advertising tactics. A a brand does still need to, you know, like know who they are, have a solid identity, have a website and push their own messaging out there. But it's not the end of the journey. It's like, oh, okay, you say that. All right, well, I'm going to go and do my research and and see what other people are saying and see whether whether that rings true. So um, it's just not as simple as it as it once was. And marketers just need to to adapt. And and B2C did that a bit sooner. Um, B2B, a playing catch up like we, we specialize in, in b2b and we've been around since well 2009 but technically 2012 there was a a bit of a kind of <laughs> rebranding and and so we yeah we usually say 2012 um, but that's a long time you know like it nine is. years of b2b influence marketing a lot of people find that really surprising they're only hearing about it in the last sort of maybe couple of years in in b2b but mm. we're massively seeing it rise in popularity so much more and like businesses are spending a lot of money on this and um, like a lot of businesses now have within their marketing team have dedicated teams to influence marketing which um, I think is the real kind of sense check for how how much an industry is, is maturing because brands are really appreciating it and that they're bringing in the skills and the resources to take it seriously as a tactic because it it should be taken seriously um, but there are a lot of myths that need to be need to be busted. I think um, still out there, but uh, going in the right direction for sure. One of the things that I've personally struggled with when I've been thinking about B two B influencer marketing is you know finding the right people um, mm-hmm. and and who exactly are these influencers? You know, in a B two C world, I mean, if you're if you're a seller of jeans everyone can wear jeans. So really mm-hmm. you've got your pick of, you've got your pick of anybody in the world that you want uh, to potentially act as an influencer on your behalf. When you're working in enterprise tech, right? Um, which is my background, finding those influences or even understanding who those influences are in the first place can be somewhat tricky. So, you know, what's your advice there? What kind of people should brands be looking at working with um, when it comes to influencer marketing? Yeah, so it is a bit more challenging and it does require um, a bit of tactical thinking. But to be honest with you, if you're a marketer that's doing doing your job correctly, um, 
you should be asking these sort of questions anyway. So, you know, it's not just about like, okay, what is our product? All right, who can talk about like CRM? Like it's a lot less basic than that. You, like I said, if, if you're a good marketer, chances are you've done some persona analysis and you know exactly who are the types of people that, that will buy from your software. You know what their challenges are. You know what their day looks like. You know how your software or your solution or your service can help them do their job better. And you can work backwards from that to go, okay, well, what, what are the specific topics that relate to, to our software and our service? Um, and you can then work backwards from that to identify influential voices that who, their audience are your audience. Um, and this is where people get this wrong, where they think, oh, well, we'll just work with, uh, well, Kim Kardashian, like she has a really big audience. Like let, let's just let's just well, like, you know engage her and get her to flog our product. It's like, well, but her audience aren't your audience, so they're they're not going to buy your CRM software. Mm, <laughs> so yeah. I know some of them might, uh, but, but <laughs> for the most part, they won't. So you know, if you compare Kim Kardashian, who has, I mean, I don't even follow her, so I have no idea how many followers she has. Uh, Hundred million. Tens of millions. I don't. I Tens of millions. Absolutely. We're, we're going to sound really out of the pop, out, out of the cultural zeitgeist right now. But yeah, I know. Tens of millions, maybe. I don't know. Tens of millions. Absolutely no idea. But people look at them on paper and go, "Well, she has tens of millions of followers, and and this this guy Joe Bloggs has ten thousand. Like, surely she's more influential." But it's like, but if you look into her audience, uh, they're not going to be buying the the products that that you're trying to sell. They're interested in you know jeans, makeup, lifestyle, whatever. Whereas Joe Blogs, ninety percent of his audience are interested in tech. They follow him for tech related content. So he's much more influential and going to have much bigger of an impact to your to your target audience. So a lot of it is is really thinking about your personas and your audience and knowing what influences them, what they care about, and then identifying the influential voices that can speak to that. And, and what those influences look like is so vast and so varied within B2B. Um, something that, that we, one of our key use cases is actually employee advocacy. So mm. it's identifying or, or helping your employees to become influential because they know your brand, they know your products and services inside out. They, they work for your brand, but they also have the relevant audiences and they have a lot of sway with those audiences as well. So that can be an influencer. Um, your customers can be an influencer as well. That's another pers uh, influencer persona, as we call them, that a lot of people kind of neglect to really to really consider. Um, they're customers that they've stuck with you. They obviously like what you do. They know everything about you. Um, and they, because they buy your products and services, chances are their networks are also the kind of people that would buy your products and services. And, and they, they know them, they've, they've met them at events or they've worked with them and they, they have a lot of influence over those people. So even though their audiences aren't by definition what you'd consider you know, the size of an influencer to be, they arguably probably have more influence over them. Um, and then you have people like, you know, academics, researchers, and um, they could be like business people, consultants, event speakers, uh, people that are amazing that are creating like really top quality content or podcasters. It's so, so, so varied. Um, but I think you, once you really focus on influence as like a, a verb rather than um, influence as like 
a noun that's the easiest way to kind of explain it I think that really pigeonholes yourself to, to just look at oh, okay what does an influencer look like rather than let's just find people who talk about the topics that you care about and have audiences who who also care about these topics that that can influence them and and that's the kind of key to identifying who who those people are Super insightful. I'm so glad that you brought up the first two examples around your employees and your clients, because certainly mm-hmm. I've been in that situation where I've been, and I love that. I love that description you just gave around influencer as, as, a, as, an, as a verb, as opposed to a noun. I've certainly, when I've been thinking about this in the past, been thinking, okay, I need to find influences. I need to find independent voices who have large social followings. You know, I've never gone as far to say I should be, you know, selling my enterprise software to Kim Kardashian, but someone <laughs> who's kind of, you know, in our world, that's kind of independent and fit. It's that, I guess, conventional influencer mold that you would just kind of intuitively think of. But yeah. I think if you're a if you're a you know a marketer that's trying to get a program off the ground, success with, comes with easy wins, you know, low hanging fruit. And mm-hmm. your employees are going to be, I think I saw a stat the other day, connected to ten times the amount of people that your brand is going to be connected to. Easy win if you can build the structure around. Uh, giving them the content that they can post in a way that um, you know makes them feel comfortable, makes you feel comfortable as a brand, that is an easy win. And they've got a vested interest in promoting in promoting your company. Your clients, as you say, they've already taken the leap with you. You know, uh, your prospective clients are going to be looking, undoubtedly, for examples of success mm-hmm. that you've brought yeah. to, to other businesses. So they are. Uh, again, easy win, low hanging fruit. How can you motivate them, empower them to go out and tell your story? And then once you've got a system going, once you've seen some early signs of success, that's when you can go to your executive team, your board and say, all right, we've done this with our employees. We've done this with our clients. Now maybe we can unlock a little bit of budget to go to you know, a more kind of conventional influencer if they exist, because that's another part of this, isn't it? You know, if you are going to with an independent party, you know, an analyst, a consultant, a a, a circuit speaker, they may require you some some investment, some budget uh, in order to to create a partnership, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And I think what just something I was thinking about when you were talking about employees, something that's important for brands to to consider and really get right when activating their employees as well is to understand what's in it for the employees. It's very easy to look at it from a lens of like, well, we want people to amplify our brand message. We want to be more influential and reach our target audiences and employees don't care about that really. Like, you know, unless they've got shares and want to be partner or whatever, and you know, they see their whole life being at your brand, they're going to move on. So you need to focus on what's in it for them and, and building their professional career. But, but yeah, I mean, to answer your, your question there, um, absolutely. Uh, there's always going to be, you know, those personas, that are the event speakers and the content creators, they're more likely for this to be their job and their income. So if you you want their access to their audience, their time, their expertise, you're going to have to pay for that. You know, you wouldn't go to an agency and ask them to to work for you for free and, you know, write a blog post for you. Um, You're going to them because you, you know, they're the experts at that. And it's the same with influencers. Um, So yeah, it's always important to, to know, I, I, like you've got to set your expectations if there's no budget like you said focus on the the easy wins the low-hanging fruit the customers the employees that you can activate and but if there is some budget there and you know you're really taking this seriously then absolutely uh, know what you're in for as far as like what kind of influences are going to be requiring budget but there, there are some instances where say they're someone who um 
they're not quite influencer status, but they're they're influential. And um, you know that, you know, this is a good example. You've invited me onto this podcast because you've obviously seen the stuff I've been pushing out. You know, I'm um, I work in influencer marketing and I can speak very uh confidently about influence marketing but I'm not an influencer so like I'm not going to turn around and say well I'd love to come on your podcast Jason but it would cost you five thousand pounds because yeah that's not I, my I, budget <laughs> exactly <laughs> and I don't have you know I, I just I would never do that because that's not that's not the the I guess the um the business I'm in but I'm someone that I'm happy to take on these opportunities because um it's great exposure for me. Um, so you, you can find those opportunities where there is maybe a win-win where you can get them access to, if, if you have a great audience yourself, you can get them access to your audience or, or maybe um, you can connect them with someone else that, that might be like a really big opportunity in the future. Um, so yeah, go in with an open mind and just be very aware of who you're dealing with and it, you might be able to engage them in an, an organic sense if they're um if they're not like a full-time influencer and they're just someone that, that wants to build their influence but if they're someone who like very obviously this is their livelihood then yeah just don't insult them and just say like hey we'll pay you an exposure um because that yeah it just gets gets laughed at and they don't reply to that yeah. kind of messaging it has to be contextual another thing i heard the other day on a, on a podcast i think it was the um chris walker uh demand gen podcast was production value was something that possibly a brand can also give to someone mm-hmm. who perhaps isn't an influencer but again yeah. you say influential maybe they're trying to kind of get more of their thought leadership out there into the market and as a brand what you can offer them is you know i've noticed you've been taking a lot of videos for linkedin on your mobile phone which is great that's fine but you know we have the capabilities to create something really kind of with a a high production value you know we'll 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 do all the work all you've got to do is just come to this location and speak on this topic for half an hour we'll have you know a beautiful camera set up we'll do all the editing we'll do all the subtitling and we'll give you all that the assets and the files at the end um to, to use across your own social channels so also high production value is something as a, as a kind of like for like value exchange you may consider yeah i like that because um i mean at the end of the day like an influencer what they care about is is providing value and content to their audience so if you can help them do that then that's something that, you know, they'll go for if you're offering to help them create higher quality content. Um, that would cost them thousands to, to buy that kind of kit themselves. So absolutely production value. I like, I like the way I like that. I'm probably going to use that moving forward. Yeah. Well, again, not my idea. Uh, I came from the Chris Walker <laughs> demand gen podcast, but yeah, I thought I, that's something that stuck with me. So um, let's say we've identified our influencer. We know who it is we want to work with. Um, what, what makes a successful kind of brand influencer r- relationship? I mean, because it, it it requires more, I imagine, than you know, simply saying we're going to give you X and we expect Y back in return. Like, what would you be uh, doing if you were trying to set yourself up for success with an influencer? I mean, assuming you've you've done your job right in terms of identifying the right person, that that's a massive, massive, massive um, key to to a successful influencer and brand collaboration. Because um, if you don't get that right, then um, I mean, depending depending on what you're measuring, if if you're just measuring engagement, sure, you you might get good engagement even if they're not really aligned with your brand. But 
chances are a brand is more looking at, okay, well, we want to um, actually drive uh, a higher share of voice within within the audiences and the markets that that we really care about, or we want to more demand, we want to drive more leads or, or whatever it is. Um, so if you, if you want to get those more like kind of your, your marketing uh, KPIs, if, if you're linking it into that, then um, getting that right influencer is, is so, so important because if their audience isn't aligned with yours, then there's no point even doing it. But won't go on about that again as we spent ages talking about that a second ago but that's definitely a massive part um, that you need to get right before you can consider everything else um so i mean i would say a really really key thing and this is something that our research actually um confirmed for us is that like true collaboration is like so imperative when it comes to a brand and influence partnership uh, if the brand is prescribing what they they want the influencer to say and to do, they're defeating the whole point of engaging an influencer and a third party voice. You're wanting to work that influencer because you want access to their expertise, their audience, um, uh, and also, I, I guess, yeah, their, their influence. So if, if you're then saying to them, okay, well, we want you to say X, Y, Z in this way and post it at this time, it's just, it lacks the authenticity you're, you're, you're trying to go for work with an influencer and trust them sure give them some direction and say this is what the product is like you know don't obviously have complete freedom like get mm. the messaging right this is what our brand stands for but we trust you like we we, we think we're really aligned like we're, we're we're singing from the same hymn sheet go and do your thing create the content in a way that that suits you and 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 also fits in with your style of content we don't want it to stick out like a sore thumb because then it just screams like paid ad or you know mm. like and audiences pick up on that they can they can tell like i see it all the time on, on instagram um obviously in b2c but where people immediately just go this just screams ad like it just doesn't feel authentic at all so that is a massively massively key part um when it comes to successful campaigns and and something else that i've already kind of touched on which may seem obvious but is to not lose sight of what you're your actual marketing KPIs are where possible, mm. where you can really tie it into those business outcomes that you're you're trying to drive, and not really get uh, distracted by the softer metrics like engagement and reach and things like that. Like, sure, they're great metrics to they're interesting metrics to to keep an eye on, and um, and I, I yeah, I guess before you can really see the the real business results like close business, which can take a while to come to fruition. They're great metrics to kind of just be aware of, but where possible, um, you need to be be focusing on you know those those brand awareness metrics, those uh, demand gen, those lead gen, the closed revenue metrics, because they're ultimately what the the boardroom are going to care about. Um, I mean, I'm sure you've been in instances where I certainly have when I was at the beginning of my my marketing career where I would say, oh, this post got this much engagement, and my my CEO would just be like so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like oh but 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 look at this the engagement they're like we don't care like <laughs> how many inquiries did it drive um so yeah uh, i think that that's also super super key when it comes to making sure your your collaborations are, are successful i i to, you, when you were talking a little bit about your kind of influence over um an, you know an influencer when it comes to running a campaign 
it was reminding mm-hmm. me of have you ever listened to the bill burr podcast you know bill burr the no, american comedian he, he yeah I, I haven't listened to it for a number of years so i don't know if he still does it but he obviously has brand, he had brand sponsorships i'm sure he still does because i think he still runs the podcast and bill burr is a very dry comedian he, he's got a very dry sense of humor and I always used to listen to the ads and I never listen to podcast ads if I can, if I, cause I can just skip them so easily. But I always listen to Bill Burr ads because he read them with a disdain, a deadpan beat, <laughs> a real kind of apathy towards the fact that he was having to do the ads. And you know, as a brand, you'd probably be like, oh my God, no, this is going to be terrible because he sounds so disinterested. But because it really was part of his whole shtick, right? It was part of his persona, his comedian persona. It was on brand for him. Exactly. And it made for very interesting Mm -hmm. and funny listening. Um, He'd he'd clearly have the script in his hand. He'd be be reading a script and be like, oh, they've got me reading some right bullshit right here like yeah so this is like the mattress it's really comfortable i've never i've never i've never lain on one but i'm guessing they say it is so you know um and like you say it was very on brand it was very authentic and that's if you're working with an influencer especially if you're paying an influencer to to promote your Mm -hmm. brand you're paying them for their persona um and and you should exactly i mean and you know to go back to my point earlier about why influence marketing has become such a prevalent strategy it's because no one likes like seeing ads everywhere all the time you know like uh, we our attention span and tolerance for that kind of stuff is is much lower like youtube you can skip the ads uh, if you're watching tv no one really watches live tv anymore they can just fast forward through the ads um you you don't watch ads if you can avoid it you know people have ad blockers and stuff on on their laptop so if something feels like an ad it's they're going to switch off like it's an ad but you know it, that example you just gave it probably was so much more effective because it was funny so people actually listened to it and that would stick with them much much more than if he had put on this like false happy voice and just like read off a script um so yeah i think it's so important to to remember why we're doing this in the first place and that's because ads don't quite cut it on their own anymore so let's stop trying to morph this new tactic into a new form of advertising because that's what exactly what we're trying to get away from. Um, really good point. Uh, the, the the report that, that, that you and Analytica produced um, back in November, if I'm recalling correctly, spoke to the need to foster kind of long-term relationships with mm-hmm. with influencers, right? Um, yeah. That, you know, the, the best results come from working with people who are aligned with your values, aligned with your brand, and you can develop a long-term relationship you, uh, with. So I think that is a mentality that resonates with me that when I'm thinking about B2B influencer marketing, I'm not necessarily expecting it to be an overnight success, much like I wouldn't expect a new Twitter strategy or LinkedIn strategy or community strategy to be an overnight success. But are there any short-term influencer wins to be had, do you think? If if we have to get some quick wins on the board to demonstrate the credibility of the idea to a skeptical leadership leadership team, perhaps? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's um, I'd say there's two strands to an influencer strategy. There's the there's the campaign side of it, and then there's the long term relationship building and, and advocacy programs. Um, so on a campaign basis, there's tactics that that you would engage influencers. So it can be. Um, an event you have coming up and you want to invite some influencers along to just attend the event or you want to invite an influencer to speak at the event or to be on a panel or to host 
uh, a room or whatever it is um or to collaborate on a piece of content or to come onto your podcast or to do a video interview or something like that and and they're tactics that you can engage an influencer who doesn't really know you you've never spoken to before that you can have a bit more of a transactional relationship where you say well this is what we'd expect of you this is what we'll do together are you happy to do that yes and then you'd have a you know some collaboration and back and forth of what you can create together and then you can create the content and you can get the results and, and show that to your senior management team and say we we collaborated with this influencer we did uh, a podcast interview with them and in turn we saw our engagement was 20 times higher um during the event like how many people attended it whether it was a i don't know a linkedin live or a live stream or whatever um and then post that as well we also saw our engagement was much more sustained we saw um, more consistent uh like uh, comments throughout because the influencer continued to to keep that momentum going and sharing it with their audience um and and so that that's one side of it and then there's the the longer term advocacy strategy um where you're more focused on okay, how can we help these influencers become advocates where they'll talk about us and be a fan of our brand off their own backs? And you hear influencers do this all the time in, in B2C where they'll say, oh, they'll talk about a product and they'll say, I, I did work with this brand two years ago, but I'm talking about them off my own back because I genuinely love them. Mm. And that's kind of what you should be striving for where they don't just work for you because or whenever you give them a paycheck, that might be how the relationship starts. And, and it might always still come back to that where when you're asking a lot of them, like again, coming back to the agency or the consultancy kind of model where you're still paying for their services, but you're helping them to genuinely become a fan and advocate for your brand so that they will talk about you off their own back. And if someone they know says, oh, I'm looking for uh, a tech solution that, that specializes in X, Y, Z, do you know anyone? And they'll automatically want to talk about your brand. So when it comes to like long-term results, having those long-term partnerships is so, so important, but it, it, it is, it requires dedication. It's not easy to do. Um, from the start all the time so a lot of our clients they'll they'll focus on those quick wins and those collaborations to begin with and then it will kind of evolve into a much bigger strategy that that requires like people dedicated to it whose whole role is building relationships with influencers because for a lot of teams it starts off as okay this one person in the marketing team is going to spend four hours a week on this and that doesn't really quite cut it it can cut it when you're just activating influencers as part of the tactics you're already doing as a marketing team because every marketing mm. team has an events calendar and a content calendar so it's very easy to just integrate influencers into that if if you don't have much time or resources but beyond that it takes a lot more dedication and resources to actually turn those influencers into into long-term advocates this has got me thinking around this whole kind of push pull concept, right? Where, you know, you can, you, as a, as a marketing team working for a brand, you can push, you can go out there and you can seek out influencers and engage them on a kind of one-to-one -one basis, a campaign basis, 
we need you to kind of uh, contribute to this piece of content, promote this piece of content, what have you. And that can be very successful. But then I think about brands like HubSpot, for example, who I'm a huge fan of, and I'm mm-hmm. not saying I'm an influencer by any stretch, but I will fight for HubSpot all day long. Like I, I love what they do. Um, I, I advocate for them all the time when anyone ever asks me, you know, what kind of marketing platform should I be using? And that's because I think partly they've done such an amazing job on the content marketing front, the community front to pull me in, mm-hmm. you know, they've given me so much value without even necessarily asking that now I am as, you know, an evangelist or an advocate for, for HubSpot as anybody. So I, I don't know what you think about that. There's kind of, and I think it kind of ties to your points there about, you know, short term perhaps is more of a kind of a push mentality let's go out and seek these these influences and, and loop them into our campaigns but then what can we also be doing across all the other facets of our marketing strategy to deliver value and and, and pull those influences in and build them up as advocates yeah i mean it's the same as any marketing strategy with inbound versus outbound like in yeah. it's, it's much easier to put a piece of content out there gate it get some downloads but and then treat them as leads but if you actually take a a longer term strategy and and focus on education and nurturing and you can make those leads come to you and and already be in a position ready to buy then they're going to convert at a much higher rate and it's much more effective it's the same kind of thing i think um it's how can we be as helpful as possible how can we um be less about us, our brand and our products and actually go out there with really quality content and, and just be super helpful to the industry. And then without even realizing, you know, like to your point, I don't know when you were saying like you see on name everywhere. And that's just because we're, we're just trying to create as much content as we can. That's really helpful to our audience. Um, and, and for that reason, we get people coming to us and saying, Oh, I'd, I'd love to, um, I'd, I'd love to help write content with you. Like, can we, um, like, would you like to interview me? And these are, you know, influencers that were like, yeah, sure. Like, and they're coming to us because they see value in working with us as a brand and they like what we do and they can see that we're aligned with their way of thinking because we've made that very clear in our messaging and the content that we put out there. Um, so I think there's a lot of similarities with like what's a very smart, strategic, tactical marketing strategy when it comes to influencers as well. Um, I think we're all very aware, like a long-term approach to anything is is better in the long run, but it takes longer. Like, you know, yeah. people that want to lose weight and they go on these really extreme diets and then they lose the weight really quickly, but then they can't sustain it. They end up putting it all back on. But actually mm. if they made smaller changes, they would lose the weight slower, but it would, it would stay off. And I always hate, like, you can, you can uh, compare a lot of things to like, uh, weight loss analogies but um yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know it's the same it's the same kind of thing uh, longer term is always better but it does just take longer and sometimes you don't have that time but if you do 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 take the the, the longer but better route worth the investment for sure uh alicia I've, I've loved this interview we've crammed a lot into a very short amount of time and um you know, we've, I think I've skipped over about six of the questions I wanted to ask you. But, Probably because um, I'm just rambling. <laughs> no, not at all. It's, it's, all been, it's all been super insightful and super useful. I know that our listeners will find a lot of value in this. Um, you've just launched uh, My Onalytica, um, yes. which uh, another one of the things that smacked me in my Twitter face uh, last <laughs> week. Um, tell us a little bit about that. So, so, so how does that factor into the wider uh, Onalytica story? 
So um, basically, my analytica is uh, a marketplace. Um, mm-hmm. So, and it's it, it, being a B two B influence marketing platform. It it's a B two B marketplace. So, I mean, there's a lot of B two C marketplaces out there, which is essentially um, for anyone that's not really. Uh, in the influencer marketing space, it's a bit like something like uh, My Builder, Helpling, all of those mm. kind of platforms where you can put out a brief and then you can look for, uh, to say you put out a brief for, I don't know, I need uh, an electrician. And then you put out a brief for what you need doing. I did this very recently, actually. I changed all the faceplates in my downstairs. So I put up a brief and I could see uh, what electricians were out there myself and I could request a brief from them. But equally, they could apply to my brief. And mm. um, so that that that's a marketplace in a basic sense. Um, and our Myanalytica is essentially that, but an influencer version. So... I mentioned earlier that our software, <clears throat> excuse me, um, is a software that you can search for influencers for according to the, the topics that matter to your brand. Um, and then, so that that's the brand side of it. That's where the brands would log in and find influencers. Uh, My Analytica is a platform and a portal where influencers can sign up and opt in to collaborate with those brands. Um, and they can create their own profile and they can update it to say uh, like what their key areas of expertise are, what kind of ways they like to collaborate with brands, how they like to be approached by brands, what their rate cards are. They can upload sample pieces of content that they've done in the past, like videos, blog posts, whatever. Um, And then once they upload or update their profile, it then syncs with the platform that the brand search on. So when a brand searches, they might click on an influencer and then all of that information the influencer has uploaded will appear there so that when the inf- when the brand reaches out to the influencer, they know everything they need to know. Um, and this is how, you know, this is everything that influencer cares about. This is the, and if you know that, you can approach them in the best way and um, be more successful. So um, it essentially like makes marketers' jobs much, much easier. It cuts out a lot of the guesswork. It means their outreach is much more effective to the influencers. It means they can have much better collaboration campaigns for the influencers. It means they're getting less time wasters. Uh, they can control the way they're perceived by brands. They're opted in. They're ready to collaborate. Um And then there's also like the campaign management side of it as well of like they can message each other in the portal, they can create briefs, upload briefs, reply to briefs, all that kind of stuff. So it's built to streamline the whole process basically because in B2B, being such a new industry, uh, it's a bit like the Wild West and it's absolute chaos out there. Um, And because it's so new, marketers often don't know how to reach out to influencers. Some influencers receive upwards of 50 messages a day. So to sift through all that nonsense is it's just taking everyone more time than it needs to take. And ultimately we want to help marketers and influencers do the bit that they really want to, you know, the fun bit, which is the collaboration. We don't want the the process before, during and after to be the bit that, that slows them down and makes life harder. Um, so that was kind of our mission when building it. Um, and that's our mission uh, overall, to be honest, is to connect influencers and uh, and brands to, to create really interesting uh, industry content that, that makes a difference. So yeah, that's that's kind of what my analytica, my analytica it's, is. It sounds super super useful, and I think you know to my earlier question about where do you find these influencers. I mean, for me, it, it seems like it's the answer to to that problem mm-hmm. because it's certainly something I've 
I've struggled with before as a brand looking for the right kind of people, or even just looking for a more diverse range of people to work with, potentially work with than the Mm -hmm. usual kind of go-to suspects. So that's live now, right? My Analytica. So people can use it today. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's live now. Um, And to your point there of like finding the right people, um, another key part of my Analytica and Analytica in general, because Analytica is kind of what our main product is called. Um, And we also really focus on personas of influencers, which I was kind of talking about earlier. So the event speakers are tagged as event speakers. The content creators are tagged as content creators. The analysts are tagged as analysts. So when a brand searches, they can say, okay, we're really interested in the topic of cybersecurity and we specifically want an event speaker um, who has uh, between 10,000 and 20,000 followers um, and they're based in the UK, for example. Um, So you can really dig down into that level of detail. And because the influencers have updated that information themselves, and they've created their own profiles, that information is super, super accurate as well. So they can then say, okay, well, this person costs £10,000 for speaking at an event, whereas this person costs £5,000. But this person, like, we can see their audience uh, demographics are more aligned with with ours. We can see that, you know, they've got these decision makers in their audience, and that's what we're trying to, to we're trying to activate them. So right. just wanted to add that there on the, the personas as well, because that's super important in a B2B context. Sounds super useful. I'll make sure to drop a link to my Analytica in the description of, of this episode. Um, don't know why I pointed down there. Like it's a YouTube <laughs> video. It's, this is a podcast, so I pointed down. None, no one can see this. Um, but uh, but I'll drop a description to that in in the description. I'll drop a link to that in the description of this episode. I'll make sure to drop a link to your social profile so people can follow you um, in the description of this episode. I ask this to all my guests, Alicia. Who should I interview next on on B two B Better? Oh, um, I would say, okay, two, two people come to mind. Um, and you've probably seen me engaging with these two people quite a lot. Um, so they're really big in the employee advocacy space. Um, I was looking through the topics that you, you kind of cover in this podcast and I don't know if there was anything or much on employee advocacy. So these could be two good people. Um, Sarah Goodall, who, um, she's a founder of Tribal Impact, um, Love Sarah, just very down to earth, like super knowledgeable, but like really understated in the way she, she doesn't take herself too seriously. She's just a good laugh to talk to. Um, And yeah, I mean, she was, I think one of the earliest people to speak about employee advocacy, really. Um, So she's amazing. And also um, Danielle Guzman, who works for for Mercer. I think she's the global head of social media at Mercer. Um, And she's another one. Um, She's American, based in New York, I think. Um, But yeah, super knowledgeable, just a a really lovely person and seems to have time for everyone. And like, is so, she just sets a very good example because I often find a lot of people that preach about things aren't very good at doing it themselves. (laughs) But but these two people are just, you know, they're, they're, they're always on posting on their their LinkedIn pages and their Twitter and they engage with people. They, they try to be as helpful as possible to their, to their audiences. So, so yeah, Sarah Goodall and Daniel Guzman. And if anyone's listening, do give them a follow if you're interested in, in employee advocacy um, because they're, they're, they're great, great people to follow. I'll definitely be hitting you up for an introduction to both Sarah and, uh, and Danielle at some point, but um, yeah, absolutely. 
otherwise, Alicia, thank you so much for coming on to B2B Better. I'm so glad we finally got the chance to talk about influencer marketing. We're going to have to do a round two at some point because, as I said, <laughs> we only really, I think, scratched the surface of the potential of influencer marketing and you're so knowledgeable on the subject. I need to continue to pick your brains into the future. But until then, thank you again so much for coming on to B2B Better. No worries. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of B2B Better. If you've enjoyed it, you can check out my previous episodes via the link in the description. Or if you fancy getting a nice hot steaming mug of B2B marketing advice on how to build an audience for your brand, you can sign up to my newsletter, The B2B Byte, which goes out every Monday. I'll drop the link to that also in the description of this episode. See you next time.